All right, take your Bibles, and we're looking at Psalm 30 tonight. Before I get into Psalm 30, I want to share a little bit with you from Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8, down in verse 27, the Word of God speaks about the saints. In verse 28, it speaks about those who are the called. In verse 29, it speaks about those He foreknew, they're also the ones he did predestinate or predetermine to be conformed to the image of his son. So you see some different names here as far as for believers. They're called saints. They are called the called. They are called those which are foreknown by God. God knows us even before we even trust in him. He knows he's going to call us. That's why he, we're called the called. But the Word of God says that, uh, moreover, it says, For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son. That word conformed, it's the, uh, a compound Greek word, sum, which means all, morphos. It means to morph into morphology or it's a very interesting word. God is changing us into the image of His Son. If you're a child of God, God is doing a work on you. Whether you realize it or not, God is working on you. He's chipping away, chinking away, and he, he's, he's fashioning us for a purpose in life to be more and more like His Son, Jesus Christ. If you see a person and they say they know the Lord, but they never show any progress and, you know, they never turn from sin, it's a good thing they probably don't know the Lord. They've got spiritual problems. God has a purpose for us, and it's to mold us into the likeness of His dear Son. I read a story about Michelangelo... You know, Michelangelo was a great artist and great sculptor, and he, he did some marvelous works. One of the works he did, he did a big sculpture, which you may have seen it, of David. Now, I think he did one of Moses also, but the one that, uh, that he did of David, real lifelike side, actually bigger than life probably. I've never seen it in statue, not in person, in statue, you know what I'm saying. But anyway... He was asked this question, how do you carve a masterpiece like David? Michelangelo's answer was, I chisel away what doesn't look like David. Well, now that's pretty interesting. Because what God is doing with you and me, he's chiseling away what doesn't look like Jesus Christ. He's conforming us into the image of of his dear son. How does he do that? Well, let me show you a passage of scripture in John chapter 15. And we are getting to Psalm 30. John chapter 15, down in verse 2, Jesus said, Every branch in me that bears not fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, this is believers, he purges or he prunes it that he may bring forth more fruit. 
you know what you do with a tomato plant. I learned this from tomato plants. You you can pull off some of the blossoms and you have better tomatoes with the ones that are growing. You, and, and it's kind of like a pruning. You cut it back a little bit. When you cut back, you have more fruit. That's what God is doing with you and I. And how does he do that? God works in your life and chisels away in your life and takes certain things out of your life by hardships. You know, it's through the very difficult times in life, God is at work fashioning your life into the image of his son. It is through rough times. Sometimes it's through sickness. Have you ever been so sick that all you could do is just pray and ask the Lord to help you? I've been there, done that. You know what? God's working. And he's working to make you more holy. Those are the times that bring us to our knees, oftentimes crying that God brings in our lives, that which causes us to be more holy and more like his son. Now, when hard times come, difficult times, it might be financial, it might be physical, you might hear you've got a prognosis that might be cancerous, you might hear you've got one leg taken off, you might have another leg taken off. It is through those times you either get better or you get bitter. I've seen people go both ways. If you truly trust the Lord and your faith is in Him, you'll grow better through it. Not too long ago, someone had passed away. And they basically made this comment before they passed away. Lord, if you want to heal me, may you do it to your glory. If you want to take me out of this life with this, may it be for your glory. What a testimony. Knowing that whatever happens to you, you want God to be glorified through it. God took that person's life. David has some powerful insight in Psalm 30. I think where he gets some of that insight is, there is no doubt, because he's inspired by the Spirit of God to write this, but he kind of foresees some things that the Spirit of God is going to write. It says over in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 5, it says, And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks unto you as unto children, My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and he scourges every son whom he receives. In other words... If the Lord loves you, he's going to chasten you. He's going to discipline you. But he does that because he loves you. Now, you know what? No chastening for any time seems pleasurable. That's what the writer basically says. But he does it for our profit. As we go through a difficult time, and it might be a time of even suffering, God's doing a work. And it's ultimately for our good and for his glory. David in Psalm 30 has basically gone through a period of some suffering. And the psalm starts out with him praising God 
for bringing him through that suffering. Now, what exactly is it in this psalm? It's only 12 verses long. What is it that is revealed through this psalm of why David suffered? There's one verse of Scripture right in the middle, and I found it odd, and I think it kind of explains the answer of why David suffered in this particular time. There's nowhere in Scripture that tells us when he was sick or anything, but I want you to notice verse 6. He says, In my prosperity, I said, I shall never be moved. In other words, David had everything going his way. Life was a bed of roses. In my prosperity, I'm prospering. I'm never going to be moved. You see what David's saying here? He's trusting in himself. There's some self-sufficiency and not depending upon the Lord. And you know what? If you get too prosperous, that can have that type of effect upon your life, my life. You can have things to where everything seems to be laid out and you become self-sufficient and not trusting in the Lord. What this psalm does, the psalmist is exalting the Lord. He's extolling the Lord, lifting the Lord up, praising the Lord. He's rejoicing over God because God has delivered him from sickness. That sickness had brought him to the brink of death. How often has that happened with you? You know what? You may have been sick. You may have been sick to the point of death, but the Lord spared your life. There's times I felt like I was dying from sickness. You probably have too. You got COVID, or then you got told you got COVID. You thought, oh, I'm going to die. You automatically think the worst case scenario. Here is David. In the first five verses, let's just read over that. It says, I will extol thee, O Lord. I'm going to lift you up, for you have lifted me up and hast not made my foes to rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried unto thee, and thou hast healed me. O Lord, thou hast brought up my soul from the grave. Thou hast kept me alive, that I should not go down to the pit. Sing unto the Lord, O ye saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness. For his anger endures but a moment, but in his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. David did not want his enemies to rejoice over him. If he had died, those that did not like David, those that were his enemies... They would have rejoiced over him. He's praising God that those enemies are not rejoicing. Now, if David had died from whatever this sickness was, he says God healed him from it, that the Lord brought up, and that word brought up means really to be drawn up. It's kind of like you let down a bucket of water into a well and you pull that bucket up. That's literally what David says happened to him. God drew him up from the grave. He was as good as dead, but God pulled him back to life. If David had died, God would have been perfectly just in letting David die. 
you know what, if you'd have died with some sickness, God had been perfectly just if you died. Me too. As David is writing this, what happens is that God gives him his health and his strength back. And because of that, what he wants to do, he wants to praise the Lord. To experience God's forgiveness and God's healing, what happens is you desire for others to praise him then. And that's what happens in David's life. He experienced the forgiveness of God, the healing of God's hand, and then he says, Sing unto the Lord, O ye saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness. Because his anger endures just but for a moment, in his favor is life. A moment is nothing compared to life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. I want you to notice and compare these words. There is that word anger. It's for a moment. There is the word favor. It is for a lifetime. There is the word weeping. There is the word rejoicing. There is the word here. David is talking about some sin. What sin was he talking about in particular? He was talking about being self-sufficient. I believe that's what it brings out in verse 6. This would be what you might say is... uh, I'll get to that in a minute. You think about Brother Josh had spoke on respectable sins not too long ago in a Sunday school class and talked about different kinds of respectable sins. You know what? Self-sufficiency. Boy, that person might look like they got it all together. But if they're not trusting in the Lord, you know what? That's a heart problem. And God can deal with that. And God does deal with that. What happens when you are prosperous, that can breed pride, can it? And you not even be aware of it. Prosperity can breed pride. It can make you presumptuous, make you presume upon the grace of God. It can help you to grow kind of indifferent about spiritual things if you're not careful. Listen to what the Word of God says in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 30 and down in verse 8. Remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. You see what the wise man of Proverbs asked for. He didn't ask for abundance. He didn't ask for too little because he realized he could sin either way. He wanted just enough. David has the problem of that self-sufficiency. Here is the problem. How did God deal with him? How did God work in David's heart? I want you to notice what it says. In verse 7, Lord, by your favor, you have made my mountain to stand strong. 
You did hide your face, and I was troubled. In other words, God's presence was somewhat pulled away from David. Let me tell you something. When God's presence somewhat pulls away from me, He never leaves us nor forsakes us. But when His presence pulls away from us to a certain degree, and you sense His loving favor is not upon your life, and you sense that He's not smiling upon your life, life becomes pretty miserable. This is where David's ending up. The reason God pulled away from David to some degree, and sometimes he might do that to you and I, is to show you your need for him. How we need him. How we need to be dependent upon him, but how often do we forget that? How often do we hum through life or hum through a day, mm, and everything's just fine? What turned David's decline? His health is declining. He's about to go down to the grave. When it says that I should not go down to the pit, it's talking about the grave. What is it that turned him around? I want you to look at this from two different angles. One is God's discipline. God's hand was upon his child. What is it that turns us around? It's God's discipline. Whom he loves, he chastens. But there's also David's responsibility or yours and my responsibility. When God chastens us, what does David do? He says, I cried in verse 8. He says, I cried, O Lord. I cried to you, O Lord. He calls out unto the Lord. When you think about it, you need to be more mindful of the rock from which you've been hewn. The rock you've been cut out of. You need to understand that you were born a sinner. And you deserve God's wrath. David's crying to the Lord. And he makes his supplication. He pours out his heart unto the Lord. It's not because of who David was that God answered, but it's because of God's mercy that God answers David's prayer. David calls out to the Lord. He asks for mercy. And as he asks for mercy, he asks for the Lord to help him also. Notice what he says here, O Lord, in verse 10, and have mercy upon me. Lord, be thou my helper. In other words, he knew he wasn't self-sufficient. He, he, he knew he needed the Lord to help him. Here is genuine repentance. David turned from his sinfulness. He turned from his self-sufficiency. And he turned and cried out to God and asked him to have mercy and to be his help. Repentance. When one cries for mercy, that's repentance. You remember the publican praying that Jesus gave as an example? In Luke chapter 18, he says, Be merciful to me, a sinner. The Lord used him as an example 
of one who was right with God because he had turned from his sin. And he's crying out to God for mercy. If you want to find favor with God, you must turn from your sin. And when you turn from your sin, that means you hate sin. You love righteousness, but you hate sin. This goes back to the respectable sins. Things that might seem to be okay on the outside, but inside there's a heart problem. David had a heart problem. Not everybody could see it. It wasn't something that was outwardly immoral, but it was a relationship problem with the Lord. His fellowship was broken because he was not trusting in the Lord like he ought to. Now, we don't need to be throwing stones at David too quick because we've all been there. What God does when David repents, the Word of God says in verse 11, You've turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have put off my sackcloth and girded me with gladness. In other words, he was repenting. And when he repented and God received him, David's heart rejoiced. Have you ever been so happy, go ahead and admit it, that you just felt like just doing a happy dance? Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. David danced unto the Lord. What was, why did he dance unto the Lord? Because he was so full of joy. He was so thankful and grateful unto the Lord. His heart was filled with joy. And his feet just couldn't stop moving. <laughs> what we find in this passage of Scripture is God is quick to forgive to those who repent. David, when he experienced that forgiveness and that fellowship restored, I believe like the hymn we sing every now and then, I sing for I cannot be silenced. His love is the theme of my song. And you know what? There's times you just got to sing because of the goodness of God. And because he has disciplined us, David realized he'd been disciplined. And he's rejoicing over it now. He wasn't rejoicing over going through it. But when he got through it, he wanted to lift up the Lord. He wanted to make his name known. He wanted others to worship him. God had disciplined him. God had guided him. And David wanted to give God the glory. Listen to what the Word of God says in Proverbs 28. Proverbs 28. And down in verse 13. He that covers his sins shall not prosper. You see, that's what David did. He covered his sins and God disciplined him. But whoso confesses and forsakes them shall have mercy. God shows mercy. God is quick to forgive. But we must turn from our sin. And there you experience the love and acceptance of God. David makes his plea back in verse 9. What profit is there in my blood when I go down to the pit or to the grave? 
Shall the dust praise you? Shall it declare your truth? You know what? We are nothing but dust of the earth. We're just like what was blowing in the wind out here yesterday. We're all just dust. That's what we're made of. And you know what? When we go back to the dust of the earth, the dust is not going to praise God. David wanted to continue life to praise God. Therefore, he says, when the Lord turned his mourning into dancing and he took off his sackcloth and he girded him with gladness, he said in verse 12, to the end that my glory may sing praise to you and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks unto you forever. David's heart's desire was to praise the Lord. God had done great things in his life. If you'd ever been on the brink of passing from this world, I, I think of Brother Steve Dawson with that bout with COVID where he was right at the brink. He was right at the brink. I think it was, was it Onesiphorus that was to the brink of death, laboring? Paul says it would have added to my sorrow, woe upon woe. But God spared him. And now he wants to live and tell others of the greatness of God. Here's a story I read about a man whose name was John Herwin. And I want to close with this story about John Herwin. John Herwin lived back around 1560 to 1573, somewhere in that time frame, over in the Netherlands. That's a long time ago. 1560 to 1570. There came a governor whose name was Alva to the Netherlands, And he was a cruel governor. His orders were to exterminate the Protestants. Now think about 1560, 1570. About the only Protestants you had right around that time were Baptists. John Herwin was one of the people that was locked up to be executed. It is reported during that time frame about 18,000 people lost their lives in that 13-year reign. This man was trying to kill all believers that he could. He was Catholic, and he was trying to kill all the heretics. As John Herwin, he was in prison waiting to be executed. People would come to his prison door because... John Herwin would start singing psalms. And he must have had a good voice. And people would gather around that prison door just to hear him sing. On the day of his execution, John Herwin started singing Psalm 30. One man assisted him with his hand and helped him. There was a friar there that interrupted his singing, but he finished quickly, and others joined in with him singing quickly. 
And his last words, he says, I'm now going to be sacrificed. Follow you, me, when God of his goodness shall call you to it. He was then strangled to death and burnt. Some of the last words people heard him sing, You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have put off my sackcloth and girded me with gladness to the end that my glory may sing praise to you and not be silent, O Lord my God. I will give thanks unto thee forever. You think of the dying man's last words. His hope was in God. He looked through death. And he sang Psalm 130. He was about to be burned at a stake. And he's telling God, you've turned my mourning into dancing. He knew where he was heading. What faith. Now you know what? This psalm, I say that to put all of us to shame. Me as well as you. We, not one in here can sing this psalm. Not one of us in here can quote this psalm. It's kind of a little obscure psalm. There's probably nobody's favorite before I read it tonight. This man had it committed to memory. Put it in his heart and sang it to God. And that was his dying words. My challenge is, may I commit myself more to Scripture to memorize. May you commit more to Scripture to memorize. That when a trying time comes, may people gather around to hear us singing or quoting the Psalms to the glory of God because we want to praise Him and give Him thanks forever and ever. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, what power is in that word from David speaking of old to your saints reciting and singing the words of David even as they are about to enter into your presence. And Lord, we must confess we've neglected your word compared to saints of old. We ask that you would stimulate us to memorize and to bless you and extol you and lift you up. Not being provoked by another person, but Lord, being provoked by you to hide your word in our heart. Not only that we might not sin against you, but that we might tell others of your goodness and glory. We'll be careful to give you the praise for it, for Christ's sake. Amen.